This is The Blood Doctor Show at uh, 2.39 a.m. on a Saturday. And this is kind of becoming my routine now at this point, honestly. I'm like up in the middle of the damn night recording these episodes. In some cases, sort of half awake. Today, quite awake. And I think it would be difficult to not be awake after the Suns won Game 3 against the Pelicans. A game that my man Sravan on Twitter called a must-win game for the Suns, which was a ludicrous statement that I laughed at him for and pointed out why it was insane. But hey, we've all got takes, right? Every now and then someone has a take, and that one was an insane take, but it's fine. We'll let it go. The Suns pulling off a three-point victory. 114-111 over the Pelicans. It was actually a little bit... Um, it wasn't quite as close as three points. McCollum bagged a triple. His time expired to cut it from six to three. You know, the Suns were pulled away late. It was a very close game, but... Um, the Pelicans didn't miss a last-minute shot or anything of that sort. The interesting thing to me, honestly, is that the Suns scored 114 in both this game and the last game. So the obvious difference in this game was defense, and that is the honest truth. And I'm not trying to say that Booker being out, you know, made the Suns so much better defensively that now they're, you know, a better team. I'm not trying to pull some Ewing theory, Bill Simmons bullshit, but it was very clear that everyone knew that they had to step it up defensively. We know that everyone has to step it up offensively with Booker out. Like, you know, that's, I think uh, Doris Burke said he had like 32% usage this year. So Booker being out, obviously there's a lot of shots to make up for. We all know that. But it's really defensively where you have to step up because nobody's going to be able to replicate what Booker does. All the ways that he's capable of scoring. You know, there's no one on, there's hardly anyone in the NBA that can score in all the ways that Booker can, truly. That's not fanboy bullshit. That Devin Booker has one of the deepest bags for getting buckets in the game. It's just true. And you just can't replicate that. So you've got to kick it up on defense another notch. And again, last game they lost by 11 and gave up 125. This game they won by three, they gave up 111. And that 14 point difference was, was enough. And it's, you know, it was about defense more than anything else. You know, there were a lot of situations where they were able to force the ball to Larry Nance, you know, for a wide open triple. And Nance was not bagging them in this game like he did last game. Um, Alvarado played yet another good game. That motherfucker reminds me of Campazzo, just like a small point guard that I would want to fist fight if I met him at like a basketball court, but I would probably want to drink with if I met him at a bar. You know, kind of that kind of dude. Um, the Pelicans are relying on rookies. And, you know, they're hanging in. And the crazy thing about this game is, you know, Jackson Hayes is out, uh, got a, a flagrant two and gets ejected. He should have got a fucking flagrant two and should have been ejected. Good call referees. But the point is, it was such a close game. Who knows how Jackson Hayes changes it? Now, as Suns fans, we would argue, well, yeah, but if Booker was there, Pelicans fans would argue, yeah, but what about if Zion was there? I understand all those things, but I mean, I don't think Jackson Hayes is making the difference in this game. This game was all about the greatness of two Suns players who went to a new level. And those people are Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. Now, 
Maybe they didn't go to a new level for what we know they're capable of, especially Chris Paul. But it was a new level for this series and for how the Suns are playing right now. And basically, they anchored different parts of the game. DeAndre Ayton was the offense in the first half. He had 21 points and seven boards at halftime. And by the way, they barely fucking mentioned it. Every time they were talking about it, they'd be like, oh, the Suns are getting good production from the center position tonight between Ayton and McGee. They weren't like talking about, dude, DeAndre's got fucking 21 in the first half. No, I don't know. Now, meanwhile, when Brandon Ingram had 23 at the end of the third, they were literally gushing about his shot making. By that point, DeAndre Ayton had 28 points, by the way. But somehow Brandon Ingram having 23 was more impressive. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. But DeAndre Ayton has grown in so many ways, offensively, defensively. He's a two-way player. He's a two-way force. And I just want this to be really clear. Anyone who ever shits on DeAndre Ayton is not fucking welcome on this podcast. Okay? I don't care who you are. Most especially, however, Suns fans. There is a huge chunk of Suns Twitter that wants to talk about DeAndre Ayton and wants to talk shit about DeAndre Ayton and fuck every single one of you who would do that, okay? If you're one of those people that talk shit about DeAndre Ayton, fuck you. If you follow me on Twitter and you talk shit about DeAndre Ayton, fuck you. If you found this podcast because you follow me and you're all, this guy's cool, I love listening to him, but you talk shit about DeAndre Ayton, fuck you. And you might be thinking right now, oh, he doesn't mean me. I absolutely mean you, fuck you. If you talk shit about DeAndre Ayton, fuck you. DeAndre Ayton is awesome. He has worked his ass off. He has worked so hard to improve every single facet of his game. He has become an elite defender. I don't give a shit what anyone says. Watch the fucking games and watch him completely shut down the rim. Okay? Again, I've said this before, but it's true. I love JaVale McGee a lot, but he gets backdoored. He doesn't rotate crisply to shut down everything. He gets some blocks. He does some nice work at the rim. But his rotations are not pristine. DeAndre Ayton is constantly moving from side to side to protect the rim like a full 180 degree span. Okay? And I don't want if, if to... You, if you tell me I'm wrong, you're fucking wrong. Watch the goddamn film. He is an elite defender. Is he the most elite one-on-one defender? No. But he's actually incredibly good. And if, again, you doubt me, go watch any game of him against Luka Doncic. Go watch that film. All of this, Luca is so good. He might be the best player on the court when they play and they could beat the Suns because of blah, 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 bullshit. Watch DeAndre Ayton defend Luka Doncic like he's a fucking wing. Then watch him go defend Joel Embiid like he's a fucking center. DeAndre Ayton is the most underrated defensive player in the NBA. He is also probably the most underrated offensive player in the NBA. Look at what he did tonight. He's fucking hitting mid-rangers. He's hitting floaters. He's going off the the dribble and getting to the rack, getting lands. He's completing alley-oops. He's got like a drop step in his game now. He's got ridiculous different little hook shots. DeAndre Ayton has a full offensive package. And he bagged a triple too. He's doing everything. DeAndre Ayton's literally doing everything. So if you're talking shit about DeAndre, we can't kick it. We're not friends We're not on the same page because I'm not about that shit at all. I have called DeAndre out when he is needed to do certain things to improve. Sure. I have at times worried that maybe Luca was the right pick instead of DeAndre. Sure. I'm not crazy. I understand that 
There are opinions and differences of you know, all sorts. I understand all that. And that's fine. However, there is a serious just level of asshole bullshit on Sun's Twitter. Just constantly dragging DeAndre Ayton for anything and talking about him in a way that is generally unacceptable. And in a lot of cases, just fucking insane. And I don't want to hear it. And it's bullshit. DeAndre is the man. He takes it to another level every single time that we're in the playoffs. It is fucking exciting. And I'm just sick of anyone saying anything else. He was awesome tonight. His defense was great. He didn't score a lot down the stretch. But he kept everything going early and was basically unstoppable. And he made the Pelicans work so hard getting to the rack that eventually, you know, you just start settling for more and more jumpers. And, you know, I know they hit everything in game two. That's great. You can't hit everything all the time. Water finds its level eventually. The Suns take this game. And now, you know, the Suns have taken back home court and really just have a stranglehold on this series because you win the next game and it's essentially over. And so the Pelicans now feel that pressure. You're not going to come back from 3-1 against this team, especially when the potential of Devin Booker coming back is looming. Because let's be honest, the national people are the ones saying it's two to three weeks. But everyone here in Phoenix is continuing to say that Devin Booker could be back at the end of this series. Now, again, you don't know. That could be optimism coming from the team. There's a lot of whatever. But the Sun sources who are generally most correct about what's going on with the Suns are pointing out that it's possible that Devin Booker could play in game six or game seven. Now, I'd love to get this thing done in five. Let's just gentlemen sweep the Pelicans right out of the playoffs. But in a world where this thing did continue, you know, Book could come back. Now, I don't want Book to rush at all. The simple fact of the matter is, I said this before, you're you're not playing for this year. You're playing for 10 years with Devin Booker. All right, this guy's going to be elite for a long time. So if there's any chance of any further injury, sit him. Sit him until he's ready. DeAndre Ayton dominated the beginning of the game, and Chris Paul dominated the ending of it. A virtuoso magician, just fucking phenomenal performance of which we've barely ever seen in basketball. I mean, this is a guy in his mid-30s who is like 5'10", who just took over this game and won it for Phoenix. Chris Paul won this game on his own. He just scored almost, it felt like he scored every single basket in the fourth quarter. He entered with nine and ended the game with 28. And I know people have scored more than 19 points in a quarter, but it's the way that Chris Paul just repeatedly, the bag is unending. First, he gets by you going to the rack for the lay-in. Then you're trying to defend against the lay-in, so he gets a little step back mid-ranger. You know, then he gets looks at open triples. Then he's, you know, hitting you with the snake move. He just has a billion ways to score. He's got the rip through. And anytime he needs to, he can actually, he can absolutely exert his will over a game. And that's what he did today. And he just said, fuck these motherfuckers. This is my city. And he proved it. You know, Chris Paul was drafted in New Orleans. I think he played half of his actual rookie season in Oklahoma City because, uh, you know, of Hurricane Katrina. 
Um, the then New Orleans Hornets were spending half their time in Oklahoma City. But nonetheless, Chris Paul spent time there. He loved that city. But let me tell you something. He's enthused to play there. Last season, his first season in Phoenix, there was a game in which Chris Paul basically sealed a win in New Orleans. And you could see him on cameras after he hit a, I believe it was a triple, to just basically dagger the Pelicans and put the game away. He walked over to the Suns bench and said, I told you this is my fucking city. That's how Chris Paul feels. New Orleans is his fucking city. You're not going to win this series, Pelicans. You never were. And all the bullshit about the we believe warriors and how this feels the same and blah, 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 blah. None of this shit matters. And Chris Paul put on a performance today that I will never forget. Honestly, this is the kind of performance that you remember forever. It's the kind of thing that, you know, I'm excited to to share with my son. And it just, it doesn't matter where you go. You go to Sydney, Australia. You go to you go to Arkansas. You go to Amsterdam. You go to Seoul, South Korea. You go to China. You go, you go to, you're just, you're never going to, it was one of the most amazing moments you'll ever see anywhere in anything. Chris Paul literally just showed you what the game of basketball is truly all about. Is that one person, more than any other sport really, can say, I'm not losing this game. And then not lose the game. And it doesn't matter where you go in the world, no matter what you do, you're never going to see someone operate the way Chris Paul operates. You're never going to see someone be precise like this. I mean, it's it's Tom Brady of basketball, right? I've said that before, and I, I think it's the truth. Like, what we're watching is special. And I've said it before, but I feel like it bears repeating because you only get so many of these moments. The man had 14 assists and no turnovers. That's not a fucking thing, dude. That's not a thing. His numbers are not real. They're the kind of numbers that you put up on 2K when you're playing point guard and you're playing on like rookie. And he does it in the playoffs. And you can say, well, it's against the Pelicans. The Pelicans, you take out their 1-12 and and you take out their rough start to the season. And I know that I'm being cherry picking, blah, 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 blah. Since the new year, the Pelicans are fucking good. Okay. I understand what the record is. I understand all of those things. The Pelicans are a good basketball team playing very good basketball right now. And they've only gotten better since they acquired C.J. McCollum. And if they'd had C.J. McCollum the whole season, you're talking about a very different season for the Pelicans. Okay? This is a good team. And so for Chris Paul to come and take this over and just get this shit done, you know, you just kind of wave goodbye, tell him it's your city. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next year. It was beautiful. You know, they asked Chris after the game what kind of food he was going to eat. And uh, my friend Keith said something about a crawfish boil. And I I said, yeah, I should have tweeted, must be a crawfish boil because Chris Paul's cooking in New Orleans. And that's my lame-ass dad joke for the day. But the point is, eat some beignets, motherfucker. You earned them. One hell of a fucking game. God damn, Chris Paul is good. Point God is correct absolutely correct 
Because much like the Sermon on the Mount, he's dishing out buckets to literally everybody. All right. They're not baskets. They're buckets. And they're absolutely fucking full, baby. That's Chris Paul. Mikhail Bridges. Now, Suns fans, especially Suns Twitter fans, might understand that I could simply say those two words and I wouldn't even need to say anything else. And you would understand exactly what I'm talking about. Mikhail Bridges. Two-way force. This is yet another game where Mikhail shows just everything. He's defending all over the place. He's hitting mid-rangers. He's throwing some nice passes. He's making some solid cuts. He's rotating. He's stealing the ball. He's blocking shots. He's grabbing rebounds. Mikhail Bridges was everywhere in this game. Mikhail Bridges is is the glue that holds the model plane together. You know, Mikhail Bridges is is whatever kind of fucking simile or metaphor you want to use, he's the mayo that keeps the burger stuck together. I fucking hate mayo, but whatever. The point is, Mikhail Bridges is the oil that keeps the engine lubricated. That sounded weird. When you have a guy like Mikhail Bridges, every single thing is easier. Because he can do everything. This is, you know, Zach Lowe once described this as the new NBA premium skill. And that was being able to do everything at a B-plus level. You can defend, you can shoot, you can pass, you can dribble, you can drive. You do a little bit of everything. You're not, you know, you're a jack of all trades. You're not a master at any one thing, maybe, but you're great at everything. You know, and Draymond Green was kind of the first guy that he mentioned with that. Well, it turns out Draymond Green is a master of defense and also an elite passer, but nonetheless, not the greatest athlete, not really a good shooter. He can just do a little bit of everything. And Mikhail is a lot like that. Now, Draymond is a little bit more of a power forward slash big, even though he's undersized, and Mikhail's more of a guard wing. I understand that. But Mikhail can do basically anything. If you need him to run a little bit of offense, run pick and roll, he can. You need him to get a bucket on his own from the mid-range, he can. You need him to spot up and shoot from outside, he can absolutely do that. He can grab rebounds. He can defend pretty much one through four. He's a great free throw shooter. Helped lock up this game. I mean, he's an incredibly intelligent player. He, you know, he's just one of these guys who does every single thing right. He's always in the right place. I've never seen Mikhail Bridges make a mistake. I'm sure that he's made one. I've never seen it. I've literally never seen Mikhail Bridges do anything wrong, except for the time I watched him play an NBA 2K game, and he took every single shot with himself and never took himself out of the game so that he was so exhausted by the end, he couldn't get anything, and he lost. I swear to God, I was watching this dude play, and he's literally yelling at himself on the game. He's like, come on, Kale. He's literally talking to himself. I love Mikhail Bridges. He is fucking awesome. Shout out to Jay Wright, by the way, uh, his old college coach. But, um... Yet another time where Mikhail Bridges stepped up and said, I'm the glue. You know, and, and, and truthfully, if DeAndre started this game and Chris Paul closed it, Mikhail really kept everything going throughout the game. He was and is and will be vital and essential. And that contract that he's on is just going to be one of the best contracts of all time. It's awesome. It is absolutely <laughs> It is absolutely 
an incredible contract, and it's just fucking exciting. This is an exciting time to be a Suns fan. And a huge chunk of that is knowing that, you know, Mikhail Bridges is going to be around for, you know, at least the next few years, just, you know, keeping everything solid, keeping everything going, keeping everything flowing, and shutting everyone down on defense. You know, Mikhail didn't win Defensive Player of the Year, but, you know, the fact that he's now recognized as that level of player, you know, again, it's a really good thing. This is the stuff that we've been waiting for, you know. Another thing Keith and I were talking about earlier. We, you're going to hear Keith and I a lot because, you know, we're watching every playoff game together. So you're going to hear that a lot. So deal with it. But we were just talking earlier about, you know, playoff basketball is just so exciting. You know, you're playing your teams in a huge game every few days. And especially when, you know, it's a finals contender. It's weeks of drama and passion and intensity. And it's really great. And, you know, the Suns were, you know, out of that for like the whole 2010s, basically. And, you know, there were a couple of seasons here and there and little dots of, you know, minor successes. But, you know, for the most part, it was nothing but misery and, you know, dread. You know, the team would have a 20-point lead and you ask yourself, well, how are we going to blow this? Or, you know, they're out of the game at halftime. And now any game you lose is a surprise. Every game you play, you expect to win. And it's amazing. And, you know, I want to <clears throat> I want to say one thing real quick here. You'll hear me say we when I talk about the Phoenix Suns. Some people get really annoyed when you refer to a sports team as we. You know, it's the old Jerry Seinfeld joke. We won, we won. No, they won. You watched. And, you know, some people get really annoyed. You didn't actually play. Don't say we. Don't say we. Well, I'm going to tell you why that opinion is fucking stupid. Okay? Most people who work for the Phoenix Suns, who play for the Phoenix Suns, who are employed by the Phoenix Suns in one manner or another, most of them arrived after I became a Suns fan. Okay? The coach arrived after I became a Suns fan. The entire roster arrived decades after I became a Suns fan. The GM is only in the last few years. Hell, the fucking owner, okay, has only been there for 15 years. I have been a Suns fan for a long goddamn time. A hell of a lot longer than 15 years. And so when I hear people say, oh, you can't say we, you're fucking goddamn right I can say we. I spent hundreds of dollars on tickets for playoff games for the Suns. A long time ago, admittedly. But I've gone to plenty of games since then when they were bad. We watch every single game. We, again, we predate the entire structure. Ownership, players, GM, not Al McCoy. Al's been there forever. I'm sure there's probably some sort of, you know, trainers or people who work at the arena. But the point is, Fans who have been there forever absolutely get to say we. We get to enjoy in this. We are Suns Nation. We get to be a part of this. I fucking hate people who try to take that away from those of us who suffered. I, I watched every fucking game, basically, from 2010 to 2020 when the Suns sucked. I'm sure I missed games here and there. But my point is I watched all the time. I bought tickets to games when they were garbage. I am a fan. I am a real. I am part of this. 
You're not going to take it away from me now that the team is good and say, oh, no, no. These guys who arrived recently, they're the Suns more than you are, and you have nothing to do with it. Fuck that. Ultimately, they could all change teams if they wanted to and leave and say whatever they want about the Suns. I love all the Suns players. I'm not saying they would do that. But the point is, this shit belongs to the fans as much as anyone else. There wouldn't even be a league without the fans. There would be nothing. There would be nothing without people in the stands. And so this whole idea that it's all about the players and no one should give a shit what the fans think and you should never get to say we, it's absolute nonsense. We are the reason there is a league. We are the reason that those arenas are rocking. And we are the we, when I say we, won the goddamn game. And that's it. And anyone who thinks otherwise is incorrect. And anyone who, you know, has a different opinion is welcome to come on this show. And I won't fucking let you tell that opinion. And I'll edit you right out. Because it's a fucking stupid opinion if you disagree with me. I'm correct. And that's that. Another thing I wanted to talk about was Jay Crowder. Crowder hasn't made a damn thing really in this series. Until he had a clutch shot down the stretch of this game to stretch the lead to a seven. Pelicans quickly cut it back to five. But another thing we were talking about earlier is that you're never going to measure. They were talking about on TV. Doris Burke said, you know, I don't think you measure Jay Crowder by his scoring. And that's true. You measure Jay Crowder by the great plays that he makes. You... You just look at it, it's not necessarily the box score, it's not counting stats, it's just good plays. Early in the game, he threw one really crisp pass down that it was an assist, but you know, nobody's talking about Jay Crowder's passing, but you should be. You should be looking at the screens he sets, you should be looking at the quick way he provides an outlet to shoot from the wing, you should be looking at how he's really improved going off the dribble, you should look at how his defense is a fucking nightmare. He's able to body bigger guys. He's able to stay with some of the smaller guys. He's got quick hands. He's got good hands. Jay Crowder is another dude like McHale. He's got a little bit less ball handling, but he's got more bulk. He can handle the bigger players. Uh, you know, not necessarily guys who are a lot taller, but just, you know, heftier players. Jay Crowder is awesome. And I like jumped for joy when they made that signing shortly after the, you know, whole Chris Paul thing. And I mean, it has just been phenomenal. They need to get Jay Crowder signed to an extension immediately. That is not a guy that you can lose. He needs to finish his career in Phoenix because he means so much to what the Suns do as well. And, you know, I could honestly, I could say the same thing about Cam Johnson, the Suns, and I could really say the same thing about Torrey Craig. The Suns have four wings who can do just a little bit of everything. Shoot, pass, defend, handle, uh, rebound. They can just do everything. Four wings. And that's not even including Devin Booker, who is a do-it-all superstar MVP candidate, who should have been MVP this year. And that's not even counting Landry Shamit, who has finally found his form as a shooter again and dunked the hell out of the ball tonight. Didn't really shoot well, but you know, the whole Suns, the Suns of the team didn't shoot well. They were four of 26 from three. They haven't shot well in this series at all. This is, they're missing open shots. This is the thing about the Pelicans. Like, you tell me whatever you want about whatever. The Suns haven't even shot well. 
okay? They're going to boat race this team pretty quickly. We've boat raced them multiple times in recent years. It's just not a good matchup for the Pelicans. They provide a decent matchup for us, I guess. But overall, you can't defend. We can defend. You're crushed. They can score a ton. So for us, we've got to stay locked in and focused. But overall, it's just, it's a rough one. It's a rough one. And yet again, the Suns find themselves in the position to win a playoff series. And I only get to say yet again as of last year, but whatever. And, you know, they're in the position to win a playoff series early, get some rest. You know, they are actually absolutely blitzing through teams um, last year. Uh, you know, they started 2-1 against the Lakers and then three straight against the Lakers, four straight against the Nuggets. Did go to six games against the Clippers, had 2-0 against the Bucks before they fell apart. But the Suns were very hot for a huge stretch of those playoffs and just running teams off the court. And it's time to get it together and do it again. And, you know, Slims came on the show yesterday and tried to say that, oh, the, you know, the Suns, the champion is not, blah, blah, blah. Fuck all of that. All right. I don't want to hear any of that nonsense. The Suns are going to get Booker right, and they're going to compete for a title right now. And I believe that no matter what, they're going to go out and win that ring. That's how I feel about that. I do want to say one other thing. The end of this game tonight was obnoxious and was a phenomenal argument for the Elam ending yet again. And for anyone who may not know what the Elam ending is, essentially... Without going into too much detail, at a certain point of the game, the clock is turned off and a a final score to reach is set. So instead of the end of the game being about the clock, the end of the game being about whoever reaches a certain set score wins. And it's based on what the current score is when the clock is turned off. So instead of the end of the game being a bunch of free throws and fouling to try to extend you know those final plays as much as possible you have to play defense because if you give up points you know they're going to reach the final tally and the game is over if you want to look at it you can look at the last couple of all-star games they've been using the elam ending and it creates phenomenally exciting endings and i've talked about this before last year but it bears repeating again that there is a better way to finish basketball games and it's not that the clock isn't important You know, it is, and I understand that. But you still have the shot clock. The shot clock is still very prevalent and still an important thing. And the simple fact of the matter is is that defense is nullified because the end of every game becomes a free throw shooting contest. Because the Pelicans are going to foul 90 times. It's a free throw and three-point contest, essentially. And it's not basketball. It's gimmicky nonsense, and it's annoying. And it's not a good way to end playoff games. And the Elam ending fixes it. If the Elam ending had set the final score at 110, then the Pelicans couldn't have fouled when the Suns had, you know, 107 or 108 or 109 because they would essentially been giving away the game. The Elam ending forces teams to play real defense. And it is the thing that would make NBA playoff games better and fix this fouling nonsense. But the likelihood that they're ever going to adopt it is, I mean, I would say none. I can't imagine the NBA going away from the clock. But I do think that there's got to be something 
to these games aren't fun at the end. And, uh, you know, like we always mention the Tracy McGrady game where he scored like 14 in the last minute. Um, and, you know, I know I understand there's going to be fouls and things like that, but just essentially the concept of we're going to foul every two seconds for the last minute. And the last minute of the game is going to be 20 minutes of just there's got to be a better way to deal with it. And again, the Elam ending is the answer, but if they're not going to do that, there's still got to be a better way, some sort of penalty or I don't know. Maybe the answer is just play better basketball. So you don't have to play the fucking free throw game at the end. It's just, it's obnoxious for fans and the likelihood of, you know, winning the game is so low. I mean, sure it happens, you know, there are always going to be exceptions to every rule, obviously, but the likelihood of winning the game by like, all right, we'll make a three and then they'll miss their free throws. And that stuff is just so rarely occurs. So I just, again, please adopt the Elam ending NBA. I know you won't, but I'm begging anyway. Covered most of the other basketball stuff going on. I was surprised the uh, Hawks were able to come back and win, made that interesting. Um, But Bucks blitz the Bulls. But we talked about most of that stuff with Slims. One other thing I want to talk about real quick, um, off of basketball and on football, just before we get out of here. Um, the NFL situation with receiver contracts is obviously basically one of the largest, if not the largest storyline in the NFL right now. You had the Tyree Kill contract, Devontae Adams. Um, you know, Christian Kirk got a big deal that, you know, kind of inspired some of these large deals. Um, now AJ Brown and Debo Samuel are in you know tough situations and reportedly maybe asking for trades if they don't get huge money. Um, it's difficult to figure out what positions you know create the most value in the NFL. I mean, obviously, like quarterback is the most valuable position. You know, running back may be the least valuable position. You know, safety. In linebacker, you know, maybe not so much. Offensive line and defensive line, very important. Um, You know, and then you sort of had cornerback and wide receiver, which, you know, there are really different schools of thought on. Um, Obviously, it's important to have elite talent at wide receiver, but, you know, people are sort of like, well, should we pay this when we can just get guys in the draft, blah, 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 blah. And you see these arguments of, well, are you worth this? And, you know, I just get a little frustrated when fans let teams tell them that players are being greedy or, you know, blah, blah, etc. The simple fact of the matter is that, you know, these owners are billionaires and the free market is what the free market is. And the NFL cap is basically fake and you can use void years and, you know, guaranteed money and bonuses and all these things to make sure that you can get all your guys under the cap and paid exorbitant amounts of money. And all you have to do to do that is cut them a check. See, the dirty little secret of all of this is that in the NFL, when the money is guaranteed, you have to put a certain percentage of that into escrow so that, you know, that money can, you know, be available for the players. I don't know the exact percentage. It may be a hundred percent. I don't know. Um, it may depend on the contract. It may depend on the dollar amount. You know, it's like a sliding scale. I'm not sure. But the point is, it's at least 50% of the money goes into escrow. I've heard different figures. I don't know the exact amount. The point is, if you, when the Browns, for example, signed Deshaun Watson to that huge $230 million contract, that means they had to put 
you know, hundreds of millions of dollars potentially into escrow into a bank account that just sits there that pays out to Sean Watson. So their owners had to actively pay that money, not just, hey, we'll collect it over time and we'll pay it to you as you get um, ticket stubs. And so that's why owners are mad at the Browns because they just gave out this massive, completely guaranteed contract. And now other players are going to want the same thing. But, you, you know, again, here's the thing. Uh, if you can't afford to pay players, then you shouldn't own an NFL team. And, you know, for all the bitching about, well, player salaries are out of control, blah, blah, blah. The owners rake in billions of dollars on the backs of the players who actually do the work. What do NFL, like, you know, what is, what is an owner or a, you know, general managing partner, whatever the fuck they're called, what do they actually provide? What do they bring to the table? Nothing other than money. Maybe in some cases they provide vision and support, but really ultimately all they provide is money. They're not like making football decisions. And if they are, their teams suck. Other people make decisions. They hire people to make those decisions. And really all they're doing is spending money. And people get mad when the players want their money. You get one, maybe two opportunities in the NFL to get really paid and take care of your family for life because you're not going to be able to do anything else and you're probably going to be really injured and you're going to have a lot of medical bills and the NFL is not going to want to pay them. So anyone who gets angry at a player for wanting to get paid or wanting to get the most money possible or the most guaranteed money possible, you're an idiot and you're taking the wrong side. And if you're siding with the owners on basically anything, you're wrong. The owners are never correct. The owners are never making the right decision. They're never looking out for the players. They're never looking out for anyone but themselves, ever. Maybe their checkbooks, because they consider their checkbooks people. More important than the players, that's for sure. That's how they view them. So, you know, when people are bitching about, oh, these guys want so much money, and it's not fair, you're going to take up the whole cap, that's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. The NFL salary cap can completely be manipulated. It's not like the NBA where... The salary is what it is. It takes up X percentage of the cap. That's what it is. The NBA, the NFL salary cap can be completely manipulated to favor a team. And they can absolutely get away with paying those huge contracts. They just don't want to. They just don't want to pay their players who literally sacrifice their body for the game. So just the next time you're bitching about a player being greedy and blah, 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 blah. Just know that you're fucking stupid and you're wrong. And that the owner is greedy and they're raking in billions and they shouldn't even be there. Here again, I've said it. Players should own their own teams. They should own the league. We don't need rich guys involved in sports. They don't provide anything. They just make everything worse. They don't need to be there. Football players should own their own teams. Basketball players should own their own teams. Baseball players should own their own teams. That's just how it should be. And I've made this argument a million times and it's the truth. But I keep hearing people bringing this up right now about wide receivers and they're like, well, you should just trade them and get a, you know, a rookie receiver on a cheap contract. And maybe that's true. That's fine. You know, and if you want to go about that, that that's absolutely fine. If you're you have the right to manipulate the cap in any way you want. But just know that, yes, sure, there have to be cap casualties, cap casualties sometimes. But just know that for the most part, the real reason that those cap casualties occur and that players are traded and all these things is that owners don't want to pay stuff that is the majority of what it's really about of course there are certain situations where a team can't literally pay everyone everything 
But a lot of the time, the reason they can't pay everyone everything is because it would require that a lot of that money be guaranteed and they don't want to pony up and actually pay that money right then. So the next time you're bitching about whatever, just know billionaires want you to pay them and they want to spend your money, just not on the team that you give them the money to spend on. They want to spend it on them fucking selves. Just stop caping for those motherfuckers. Stop begging over and over to, you know, oh, well, there's the players. Oh, you're so greedy. Oh, what a ni- this owner's such a nice guy. He has the community foundation. Shut the fuck up. Just, just stop. Just stop this nonsense. And that is the Blunt Doctor Show. Short and sweet and to the point. Not a super long episode today. Just had some things I wanted to say about the Suns. I'm running out of superlatives for Chris Paul in the group, but it still was one of those games that really needed to be talked about. It was a beautiful day. It's going to be a beautiful weekend. Tell everyone that is important in your life that you love them, that you care about them. Make sure that everyone who is important to you knows that they're number one. Be good to everyone around you. Take care of your family. Peace to you and yours. 2022 is an amazing year. Let's make it a better year than last year. And let's make 2023 better. But we'll get to that later. Peace.